0: Hey, welcome, friends, in the room. Yeah, we can clap for that. Friends in Fort Worth, Houston, El Paso, Cedar Rapids, Spring, wherever you are joining or listening from, uh, as we continue this series, Views on the Porch. Hey, quick PSA: Tonight's topic is a little bit uh, is a mature content. So, if you have children with you in the room, this would probably be a good time to head to Sonic or. Um, <laughs> some other place, or if you're listening at a future date, uh, this would be a time for you to probably hit pause and listen to it yourself. Uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of story. Uh, recently, I have been in preparation for a talk that we may give at a future date inside of this series, or at least at some point in the porch, in a number of different conversations that um, I have, uh, I've recognized that as I sit in uh, just kind of a, a circle and have these conversations, a, a heightened sensitivity um, as I approach it. And it's a conversation about race. Uh, Race is a huge issue inside of our culture right now. And just the conversation uh, about how does the church play a role in bringing healing uh, to an area where it seems like society is further getting divided? And how do we be a part of that? And and just as I've sat kind of in conversations uh, in circles with people and we just try to listen to one another and talk through how does the church play an active role in bringing this conversation about in, in a healthy way? I've just recognized like a, a sensitivity around it where I just, I want to make sure that I, I, I'm not, um, by the questions that I ask, even the terms that I use, uh, either, uh, being invalidating or insulting. And at the same time that, uh, I recognize and, and care for those who are there. And I think the reason why is twofold. One, I don't know if you can tell I'm white and, um, like extra white, like I get sunburned indoors and, uh. And so there's that. And so I want to make sure that this, you know, I want to learn from different perspectives. I think, I think it's something that uh, if, if the body of Christ can't learn to listen and hear different perspectives and care for one another, who can? And so I, I want to be sensitive to that. And, and then the other reason I think there's a sensitivity to make sure that the um, tenderness around that topic and just uh, the um, handling of that topic is done really well is, is because historically the church has not always done really well about that topic. And so I want to make sure that we are, Um, allowing the spirit of God to continue to create unity and just handling it really well. I say all that because in the same way, um, I feel that way about tonight's topic, that it's one of those really emotionally charged things that is a part of the conversation often in culture. And it's a conversation that um, has not always been one the church has handled well. Tonight we're going to talk about the subject Uh, of homosexuality. Last week, we dove into, hey, what does the Bible say about premarital sex? And tonight, we're gonna open up the conversation about what does the Bible say about homosexuality, specifically addressing the question of, can you be gay or lesbian and be a Christian? And I know that this is, this is not some political exercise that we're gonna have. This is a personal issue for many people in the room. Either it's something that, Same-sex attraction is something you personally have wrestled with, or you may know someone, a family member, a brother. And so this isn't some abstract idea. This is a person that is connected to many of us inside of the room. I know I've personally sat with friends who um, no longer, having once attended here or church in general, won't come back because of the issue of homosexuality. And the church historically has not always handled it well. There have been things done in the name of Jesus that were evil or they were ostracizing and they certainly were unloving and unchristlike. like And yet at the same time, we live in a world that is continuing to um, move further and further away from God's word and so how do we maintain whatever the Bible says, which we're gonna to explore tonight, and also where can the church continue to take ground at an issue that seems to be on the fault line of our culture, or just at the forefront of so much of the conversation. This has been used uh, in a way I don't think it was ever intended to be, to hit people. Or God didn't give it to us to beat people with. He gave it to us in order that we would find life. And so tonight, I'm gonna do as best I can to approach this subject in a way that I hope represents God's heart in God's Word, I know that I'm going to fail. This is one of those subjects where at the end of the night, you always regret, man, I wish I would have said this better. I wish I would have said that more clearly. And, um, and so I fully expect and am well aware of the infallible or the shortcomings that uh, my communication may have. But as best we can, I want to explore alongside of you what God's word says about the subject of what it looks like to be gay or to be lesbian. So we're going to look specifically at three questions. Can you be gay and be a Christian? why or why not, and how the church must change on this issue. So let's talk about the first one. Can you be gay and be a Christian? Well, immediately it becomes a question of what do you mean by gay? If by gay you mean someone who has homosexual or same-sex attraction, gay or lesbian, I'm using interchangeably there. If by that you just mean you're talking about attraction, yes, or sure. In other words, it's not homosexuality or homosexual attraction that will stop you from being a Christian and any more than heterosexual attraction makes you be a Christian. You can have temptation and that's not a sin. Homosexual attraction is not a sin. Being tempted in a same-sex manner is not a sin. But if by being gay you mean homosexual actions, the Bible has is a little bit, not a little bit, it's a lot more clear. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Do not be deceived. This comes from verse uh, nine. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, or it's just the word homosexuality, your translation may have, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, are you saying that being gay keep you out of heaven. What Paul is saying is that having unrepentant sin in your life of any kind that you just embrace is not the mark of someone who's a member of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, he's saying, it, it, we can zoom in on homosexuality. He really says, man, if you, if you look at God's word and you embrace sexual immorality, which is sleeping uh with anyone other than a spouse. If you embrace idolatry, which is any time that we put anything before God, and that is an unrepentant lifestyle that you had, that's not the mark of someone who is a follower of Jesus. And so any unrepentant sin that someone embraces and tolerates, Paul would say, that's the mark of someone who doesn't know God, or at least is certainly not walking with him and is very deceived. And here's, here's like the rub on this issue, I mean, let's be honest. The biggest issue inside of the room from this list is not homosexual sin. There's a, there's a lot more heterosexual sin that's taking place inside of this room. I mean, Paul would say, Hey, can you be an unrepentant person who's sleeping with your boyfriend and be a member of the kingdom of heaven? Someone who's like, look, I know what God's word says. I know that that's not okay. I just don't care. And you know, it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure God will accept me. I think Paul would say, you should be concerned. If you have homosexual sin, you're just saying, I'm embracing, I don't care what God says, you should be concerned. If you're a gossip, and you're like, look, it's not that big of a deal, it's kind of, we bond over it, I know God's word says it's bad, but I really don't care, you should be concerned. If you live for the weekend, you live for the party, the next high, and you're like, man, I, I know God really is not for that, but it's not that big of a deal, you only live once, and you know someday I'll get more serious, you should be concerned. Paul would say those are not the characteristics of someone who's a member of the kingdom of heaven, said another way, who has Jesus as the king of their heart and their life. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And so can someone be gay and be a Christian? If by gay you mean sexual orientation or attracted to the same sex, yes. And they can also not be. It hinges around whether or not they have trusted in Christ as the payment for their sin and the resurrection that he came back alive, and they've trusted in that. But can someone live an unrepentant, sinful lifestyle and embrace sin that Jesus, as the king has said, is not to be a part of the people of God, which is any type of the sins. He lists out a whole bunch of them. There's nothing distinct about homosexual sin. Paul would say no, or they should at least be concerned because that is not characteristic of the people who are the members of the kingdom of heaven. Homosexual behavior, not homosexual attraction, is sin, according to the Bible. Well, doesn't Jesus say that we're not to judge? This would be a response you often hear inside of culture that, hey, we're to judge not, right? Didn't Jesus say judge not? So we shouldn't judge. Jesus didn't say not to judge. He tells us how to judge and who to judge. If you read in Matthew chapter seven, you go and you read it, Jesus says, hey, do not judge to a standard that you don't wanna be held to. He says basically, hey, to the measure that you judge someone, you're gonna be held to that standard, you need to know this. And then he goes into an explanation of how we are to judge someone. He literally says, hey, take the plank out of your eye, then you can look at the speck in your brothers. The Bible doesn't teach not to judge, it tells us who to judge and how to judge. First Corinthians chapter five, that's another letter. Paul writes and he says, you are to judge one another. By judge, hold one another accountable to the standards of God's word. That's what it teaches. The Bible doesn't teach, hey, judge not, you know, only God can judge me. It says that we're to hold one another accountable to the standards inside of God's word. It would be impossible for you not to judge. And here's what I mean by that, or make judgments on things. All of us come into the room and we all hold judgments. We all hold things that we believe that are wrong. Uh, You probably came into the room and you're like, I think that um, uh, child abuse is wrong. That's a judgment. Who are you to judge? We're all fine with that type of judgment. The Bible is fine with that type of judgment because that's evil. Uh, we all came in there, many of us came in the room, I'd say most of us, hopefully, came in and said, hey, racism is wrong. It's an evil atrocity and it's not okay. That's a judgment. The Bible doesn't teach not to judge. It teaches us who to judge and how to judge in love, brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of us. Uh, another response people will say is, hey, you know, Jesus never specifically addresses this issue. Why didn't he bring it up? The reality is Jesus does address the idea of marriage repeatedly. And he says it's between one man and one wife for life. Till death do they part. He says this is the standard of marriage and he literally says if you can't accept this, you should not get married, but this is what marriage is. And you may be thinking, yeah, but he didn't specifically address homosexual behavior. What's the big deal? If the standard of what is okay and not okay is what Jesus doesn't, or Jesus explicitly addresses, I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of things he doesn't address. He didn't address wife beating, but I don't think any of us are like, I think he was pro-wife beating. He didn't address heroin. I don't know that anyone's like, yeah, he's a big heroin guy. I think everyone would say, no. I don't think he'd be okay with that. But he clearly lays out that Jesus' perspective on marriage and what God's design was, was between one man and one woman for life. That's what Jesus says about the conversation of what marriage is. In Romans chapter one, Paul makes abundantly clear that homosexual behavior uh, is contrary to God's design for the world. That God is the creator. You can go read it later in Romans chapter one where Paul lays out in verses 25 uh, through the end of the chapter that God created the world. He designed the world to work in a certain way. And when man chases after sin, they reject the creator's design and they say, I know better than you and they run towards destruction. He gives a ton of different sins that man runs to when we reject God, when we reject the creator or the designer and we say, you created it but we know better, you run towards, you don't know how to handle this life he would say it doesn't just cover sexuality he says they reject uh, the way that God says they should use their words their mouth their relationships with another with one another with their parents he goes into a whole list of things but Paul makes clear it is a rejection of God's created design and how he created the world to work Uh, Anytime that we abandon the inventor or the creator's uh, intent, the creator's instructions, uh, things don't go well. Generally speaking, I mean, I, uh, I don't know. There's, there's two people. Let me illustrate it this way. There's two types of people in this room right now. <clears throat> there are people who, when you are doing laundry, you read the tags on your shirt about how to wash it and how to not and so forth. And then there's guys and. Um, <laughs> No, I'm sure there's guys out there who read the tags. But here's what's going to happen for you, gentlemen. This is a public service announcement. Let me help you out here. A little marriage advice. Someday, if you get married, you're going to be in the laundry room, just trying to be hubby of the year, putting the laundry in. You're doing laundry for your wife. You're like, don't worry about me. It's okay. If I get nominated for husband of the year, no big deal. And uh, doing the laundry, taking care of it. This happened to me recently, and and I'm washing some of the clothes for my wife. And she had this, um, I don't even know what to call it, It, a... uh, a poncho, I'm being told. It was like an Afghan blanket with a hole in it, and you put it over, and uh, and it was from, I, I don't know, um, I don't wanna, I'm just going to embarrass myself if I try to name where whatever store it was from. Um, and anyways, so I'm washing, I'm throwing it in there. It's great. All of a sudden, we get the laundry done. Everything's dry. It comes out. It looks like it was made for like a seven-year-old, and it's this tiny thing that she had just gotten for Christmas. A very expensive item from a family member. And she's like, "You ruined this cashmere." Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, wow. Judgmental people in here. <laughs> I mean, this thing is so tiny and I'm like, no, it'll be good. I get it soaking wet again. And I'm like in the backyard, just trying to stretch this thing out. And, uh, it was unsuccessful. And, uh, I had failed to read. She was like, you didn't read it. It says on the instructions, do not dry, do not dry. And uh, I was like, who reads the instructions on these? Why would you put it in the dirty clothes hamper if uh, you didn't want to? But in failing to read the instructions of the creator's design, uh, it, it, it consequences. Now that on a micro level is, is, is comical, but it's the same thing that happens anytime that we abandon God's design for anything. That there's pain that's introduced, there's consequences, there's damage that, that sometimes can be worked through, but oftentimes can't be undone. And that's what the Bible teaches, that God created the world. He designed it to work in a certain way. And so this is why God is opposed to homosexual behavior. So I want to talk a little bit about why that may be even further. So if God um, is not opposed to homosexual attraction taking place in a person, but homosexual behavior being acted out, why would God be opposed to that? And I think there's a couple reasons that come to mind quickly. So our second idea of why would God be opposed to homosexual behavior? I mean, if it's two consenting adults, love is love, what's the big deal with one another? The first reason is because as it relates to marriage, uh, the idea that a man and man, if it's love together, that could be defined as a marriage, is an offense to what God says all throughout the Bible, marriage is, which is not just a man and a woman, together, though it is that it's ultimately a metaphor for Christ and his unending, unstoppable love for his bride, the church. Ultimately, in other words, marriage is a picture, not just of a man and woman on earth together, though that man and woman married together on earth is to be a reflection or to uh, reflect what ultimately marriage is all about, which is Christ and his love for his bride, the church. And so to attack that is to attack What marriage really is all about, which is Jesus and His bride. Paul says this in First in Ephesians chapter five, verses thirty-one through thirty-two. I read it this past weekend at a wedding that I was doing. I read it in every single wedding that I do, and it always jumps out to me. Here's what Paul says: For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. This reason being marriage, and the two will become one flesh. Like that's crazy, two become one. Wow, man, that's shocking. Paul says this. This is a profound mystery. Yeah, two becoming one, for sure. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul says it's mysterious as man and woman, two becoming one together. Ultimately, the more profound and greater mystery is not how to two become one, but is ultimately about how this thing, this thing called marriage is ultimately about Christ and his bride, the church. And so man doesn't get to decide what it is and what it's not because it's ultimately not about man. It's about Jesus. Second reason why I think God is opposed to homosexuality and homosexual behavior is because of the uh, unbelievable consequences that come as a result of that lifestyle. Consequences in the realm of mental health, of life expectancy, of disease, and of divorce. Uh, Here's what we know. I mean, there's been studies that have have shown this, and I'm gonna list uh, out um, some of the statistics and the sources that come from them. Uh, Homosexual... People who live in a homosexual lifestyle are 50% more likely to suffer from depression and abuse. They're 200% more likely to commit suicide. That comes from a recent study in the medical journal of BMC Psychiatry. Often suicide is blamed on, um, you know, religious people or the church and societal pressure that makes them, um, uh, you know, feel ostracized. And so if only society would just be more tolerant and accepting, then those types of behaviors, that depression, suicide, uh, substance abuse would all go away. And it's just not true. There's a study done in Sweden, a country that legalized in 1944 same-sex relationships. A country that was named by the Uh, International Lesbian Gay Association, the most friendly country in Europe, if not the world. A country that in 2003 legalized that to uh, talk negatively about someone's sexual orientation was a hate speech, punishable by crime or by jail, I mean by fine or by jail. To even suggest, like I'm doing right now, that God's design was for man and for woman, I could be put in jail. It's a country that has done as far as it can uh, Uh, push the agenda to make sure that we create a tolerant environment. And they don't have less or lower suicide rates, they have higher. The suicide rates that were found of this study by the European Journal of Epidemiology in 2016, May 11th, was that suicide rates in Sweden are 300% among the homosexual community. The life expectancy, there's consequences not just in that arena, there's consequences in life expectancy. And I'm not here to like beat down with stats, there's a God who loves you, who doesn't want this for anyone any more than you would want it for someone if it's gonna dramatically impact their life and the life expectancy. The average life expectancy is diminished by between two or I'm sorry, twenty and twenty-four years. The Eastern Psychological Association found that regardless of how tolerant the society is, the average is the same. They did further studies in European nations that have gone to great lengths for many years to normalize homosexual activity, and they found that still the numbers were consistent with the United States. On average, between 20 and 24. The study cites Denmark, where heterosexual males lived to an age of 74, compared to homosexual males that lived to an age of 51. They study Norway, where homosexual males lived to an age of 77, heterosexual males lived to 77, homosexual males to 52, and lesbian couples 78, among heterosexual women, compared to 56 among homosexual. A study found that only 1% of homosexual men will die of old age, 1%. The study concluded that the homosexual lifestyle is is significantly more dangerous than even smoking. And the God who's there, he's not angry, he's not um, a God who hates people in the homosexual lifestyle, he's a God who loves you, who doesn't want that for you. Not only impacts mental health and life expectancy, One of the reasons life expectancy is impacted is because of the prevalence of disease. The United States Center for Disease Control in 2013 found that while only 3% of the United States population was homosexual, the group is responsible for 50% of the cases of gonorrhea, 60%—I'm sorry, of syphilis, 60% of the cases of gonorrhea, and over 75% of the HIV cases in the last five years. The AIDS epidemic was so closely associated with the homosexual. Um, lifestyle that when it was originally coined in 1982, it was called GRID, Gay Related Immune Deficiency. There was just a prevalence of this disease among this community and the God who's there, he's not angry. He's not looking to rip you off. He loves heterosexual and homosexual alike and he doesn't want us to live in a way that's contrary to his design in any way. Whether it's sleeping with your boyfriend right now. Whether it's uh, abusing alcohol right now or whether it's living in a homosexual lifestyle right now. Why is disease so rampant? There's two reasons and I don't wanna be too graphic. The first is because uh, the human body is not made for anal sex. And the tissues and the things that are involved um, are more likely to create uh, complications when sexual activity takes place. The second is because monogamy is the extreme, extreme minority. In other words, the likelihood of a gay married couple being uh, committed exclusively to one another is not impossible and it's not that it's never happened, but studies have shown it is a promiscuous environment, often tolerated and even openly it's fine to go after. Here's what a Swedish gay couple named Andrew and David Madison did a study in the Journal of Sex Research. They surveyed 2,583 couples who were married together. They found that not a single couple was able to sustain a monogamous sexual relationship The average number of partners among those 2,583 was between 100 and 500 partners, sexual partners in their life. Furthermore, the likelihood of divorce inside of a same-sex marriage is 50% if it's among gay men and 167% more among lesbians. Why would God be opposed to this lifestyle? Jesus summarized um, the great commandment, or the great commandments for all of us, and he summarized really the whole Bible. He was asked, "Hey, what's the greatest commandment?" And Jesus said, "You can sum up all of the law and the prophets in Matthew 22, and he said by two things: love God and love your neighbor as yourself." The reason God would be opposed to this is because He knows it's it's hurting people of life. Said another way, the reason why, as the church, we feel the burden to talk and to shepherd through this issue and to talk about it and to share what God's word says is because we believe it would be unloving to not do so. And people in the room are gonna say, no, it's so bigoted, I can't believe you, just love is love is love. If someone in your community or someone in your life, someone, friend, maybe it's a family member said, hey, I'm gonna make a decision. I'm gonna move to a city. And in this city, I'm gonna be more likely to be suicidal. I'm gonna be more likely to be anxious. I'm gonna be, almost certainly have a sexually transmitted disease and, and on and on from there where I'm gonna have to have lots of, of time spent in hospitals. And not only that, I am guaranteed as a statistical fact, almost as close as you could get. If the average is 51 years old to die 24 years earlier. And God clearly says that's not an okay city to live in. Would it be loving for you to say, yeah, dude, go live there, man. You do you come on. Of course that wouldn't be. And they may respond with, oh, come on. Why can't you just love is love? If if you loved me, if you cared about me, you you would encourage the fact that I'm going to live in this city. As followers of Jesus, any more than we could encourage divorce, which we will not, and that's an entirely other issue we can touch, or any more than we would encourage someone to uh, participate in a polygamous marriage or participate uh, in raising children in a way that is abusive. We cannot Uh, encourage someone to make decisions or to move to a city or to choose a lifestyle that not only God's word says he commands and calls us not to, but even society. I mean, go look all those stats up. You can re-listen to it again. These are not like, oh yeah, I made these up earlier today. They're clearly known things. And the consequences are huge. And if you're sitting there in the room and you're thinking, gosh, this place is so bigoted, I can't believe it. I think we love them more than you do. Because if someone is going to choose a path that's going to have unbelievably painful consequences, including leading to death, and you're like, "I don't care, you do you, man," it makes me feel good inside to give you that approval. I and this body of Christ, we love them more than you do. Sadly, uh, this is an issue that that um, for Christians, increasingly more, you're going to be called bigoted, hateful, homophobic if you hold to these things. Um, There was was recently, uh, someone had come and spray painted outside of Watermark's building. This is not the first time. It's not the last time. It's actually happened since then. Hey, uh, Dallas tribe, whatever that means, racist, sexist, transphobic, biphobic. And this has happened multiple times since on this particular occasion. It was a Sunday evening, and someone had gone out there and spray painted. And, um, And the reason they say that, I get it, is because of Talking about it like this and attempting to in a loving way. You know what the gospel irony about that was? That night, you know who went out there and cleaned that up? One of the members who's plugged in here had his life changed. A black, same-sex attracted struggle male and a Middle Eastern man, both plugged in here, went out, got down, and they began to clean it off saying, this is my church home. And people can call us bigoted. They can call me a racist Homophobic, transphobic as a black person who struggles with same sex community or same sex attractions, but my life has been changed and I'll go out here and clean this up and get on my hands and feet. He's not the bigot in that situation. Whoever spray painted that is the definition of bigot. You know what it is? Someone who doesn't tolerate other person's views. If you get called a bigot for holding to the Bible, you're not the bigot. They are. I mean, that's a fact and that's, I mean, and we can clap all day long for it, but, but think about it. If someone is saying, Hey, look, I know you hold to this book of 2000 years old and it's, it's been something around a long time. And, uh, but I, I just think you're wrong, man. You're a bigot. You're an idiot. That's where you are. <laughs> Cause my opinion tells me I'm right. And you're wrong. And if that's where you hold inside of the room, I know that, I know that this, I'm gonna, we're going to get some emails on this one, but <laughs> We are are striving to love every every type of person, every sexual orientation that can be there. And God's word is clear on this one, just like he's clear candidly, I'm gonna come back to it, on the heterosexual sin taking place in this room. That is much more prevalent than any homosexual sin. What if they find a gay gene? What if it comes out and they find like, man, there there was a gay gene um, to this point? Studies have shown there there has been nothing conclusively, but here's the deal. Even if they did, that would fit well within what the Bible says is total depravity or man having a sin nature that was born. I was born with a propensity where I want to have sex with every beautiful woman that I see, but I don't know that anyone thinks that's a good thing. There's been studies that have found, uh, Time Magazine in 2010 did an article that was called Adultery. It's in our genes, that men have a propensity towards polygamy and they think there's a genetic passing that has taken place. But I don't hear anyone being like, you know what, just let boys be boys. They can go sleep with whoever they want. I think people would say, no, that's probably not good for society, even if it's in our genes. Why would God make me this way? Um, God did not make you or he did not make someone in their sinful nature. We were all born with a broken sin nature. He did not make any of us sinful. He didn't make me polygamous. He didn't make uh, uh, you anyway. We were all born broken. And in that brokenness, it manifests itself in all kinds of ways that go from there. God is not um, the originator of your sin or mine. He's the solution for it. And he provided that solution by sending his son to be a savior. So how should we as the church change or how must we as the body of Christ, change our response. I wanna give just a few things and then uh, um, we're we're gonna close down here in a few minutes. The first is that I think we have to change the approach that we have with non-believers. The church has got to stop beating people with a Bible that they don't believe in. If someone's not a follower of Jesus, you don't point them to change their sexuality, you point them to their savior, to Jesus. That's, let me say it this way. God's biggest concern for someone who is in a homosexual relationship is not their sexuality. It's them knowing their savior, Jesus. None of us have to change our sexuality before you can become a Christian. Hey, stop doing that, and then you can become a, a part of our group. We invite people to come to know Jesus, and we trust that he will work at their hearts, and he'll begin to work inside of their lives. Just like you didn't change your behavior before you came. You didn't stop the pornography addiction before you trusted in Christ. And so the church has gotta be a place that stops pointing out people's sin who don't claim the name of Jesus. We point them to their savior. At the end of the day, God's desire for people is not calling them to be heterosexual. It's calling them to be holy. The second way I think we've got to change is that we cannot be people who fold on truth and the truth from God's word. And we cannot beat people down with it. We cannot be people who just say, you know what, society's changed. It's fine. No big deal. Who cares? I don't really read this thing anyways. We have to be people who hold to the truth that found is God's word. Sadly, there are entire denominations who are saying, ah, you know, it's fine. Maybe, maybe we just missed it on this one. Maybe society has changed. The homosexual activity in the first century far outweighs anything that takes place today. Go to any sort of historical research and you'll see that. So to argue that like society's changed, are you kidding me? Pediatry was embraced and accepted. In other words, pedophilia was embraced and accepted. There was all types of sexual engagements that all of us would say is not okay. Prostitutes were a normal part of society. The sexual norms of that day were not way behind ours, like, oh, grandma's back there. They were way past anything that we see today. So to think that the Bible, you know, it's got to catch up with the times. Are you kidding me? They make Las Vegas look like tame. I mean, that's true. Do any sort of historical study on that. And so we can't be people who are just like, you know what, things have changed, throw the towel in. Thankfully, those denominations are crippling and shutting down. Because people aren't hungry for, um, you know what, this book really doesn't really matter that much and do whatever, you do you, man. Just show up and pay the tithe. That's embarrassing and an affront to God and it's not the church. The second way the church can't do or we cannot respond is not just unfolding on truth but also on beating people down. Examples like this. This is offensive. This is disgusting. Not only because it uses an offensive term, which I'm not even going to justify by using, but because it's not true. In order for that sign even to be true, you'd have to put love in there. Because God loves people in a gay lifestyle, people in a straight lifestyle, people of every lifestyle. He loved them so much he would give his life for them if they were just them on the planet. And that's an offense. And that's disgusting. Disgusting. And I know instead of this room, the church probably goes, yeah, amen, for sure. But any time that we ostracize, alienate, or treat this sin as though it's something different than all the other ones, we are in a minor degree participating in the same way. There's no difference. All of us are broken in need of a savior. The third thing is around how we approach fellow believers who have same-sex attraction. I'll move quickly through this. How do we do that? How do we approach our our fellow believers who struggle with same-sex attraction? We do what we do with people with, Same or non-same-sex attraction. We point them to truth. We hope that they point us to truth. We walk alongside them in community with one another and we bear one another's burdens. The church has got to create safe environments for people to be able to talk about this. Where people can come and know that, hey, I can bring forward same-sex attraction. I'm not gonna be judged anymore than if I bring forward heterosexual attraction. And we come alongside one another, and we care and we lock arms and we fight against sin together. This is what the body of Christ does. We live in community. And the third thing, I think, where at least I can speak for myself, is I think, um, I think we could do a better job of acknowledging the extent to which the gospel and picking up your cross daily is calling people who have same-sex attraction to. In other words, um, I, I think even just some sort of recognition that look, dude, at the end of the day, all of us to follow Jesus, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. But not all crosses are the same weight. And the reality that, man, in doing that, if you're part of the, uh, if you have same sex attraction in a way that you're like, look, I've prayed for God to take it away, He's not taking it away. And, and I've come to the reality that I am choosing to follow Jesus and choosing that I may have a life of celibacy ahead of me. We need to, as a body of Christ, look at that and, and say what is true. That's amazing. Your faith inspires me. The fact that you say, hey, though none go with me, I'm gonna follow you. If it costs me my sexuality, I surrender it all to you, Jesus. You were an inspiration to me. You strengthened my faith. There are people of you in the room right now, listening to Fort Worth, listening to Houston. You strengthened my faith. You make me wanna be more like Jesus. I think some of the strongest faiths at Watermark are men and women who choose to be celibate for the kingdom of God. That's what you're doing. Choosing to say, God, even my sexuality, it's yours. You're the Lord of my life. Maybe the most Christ-like people in the church today are the people who say, God, even I would choose to be celibate for the kingdom of God just like my savior was. And you are an inspiration to me. And not all crosses are the same weight, but the way that you allow the one who is in you who's greater than the temptation you feel, greater than the world around you, to be strong in the midst of weakness is an inspiration. May God multiply your kind what I know is that, that in eternity, as hard as it may feel, and even in this moment, the reality, I mean, think about it. For those of you who are, are uh, not same-sex attracted, think about just a crushing weight. It, many of us feel as singles in the room wondering, like, am I going to be single for forever? I mean, think about it. Th- think about waking up with the reality. <laughs> it's, it's a crushing weight. <laughs> I mean, think about that. If you were going, hey, unless God changes something here, I'm never going to have that type of relationship where I wake up next to someone, where we raise children together. God can change something. We're going to come back to that in a second. But that's amazing. You inspire me. You make me want to know Jesus more, follow him more. And I'm confident that in eternity, everything that may be in stewarding this, that you experience, that you may miss out on, maybe marriage, kids, all of that stuff will pale in comparison to what God has in waiting for you. Because here's what the scripture says, it it almost speaks of, in multiple places, that it's almost as though when we get to eternity, there's going to be people who were not celibate, who were not same-sex attracted, who look at you and they're like, dude, oh my gosh, unbelievable, the way that God rewarded you, I I wish that on earth I would have walked through that. It says this in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 4 through 5, This is what the Lord says to those who are eunuchs, those who are same-sex attracted, those who keep celibate for my sake, for the kingdom of God, who choose to do what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and my walls a memorial in a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Those who choose to be celibate for the sake of God, he says, for all of eternity, I will give you a reward that makes... Anything in this life that you missed out on pale to what's ahead. I know that doesn't ease the burden or lighten it, but at the same time, know that God has not forgotten you. He sees you, loves you, and you are an inspiration to us. The final thing that I think we need to do is that we have to put change firmly in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That people are not projects Um, there is no, someone today asked like, does Watermark, does Watermark do the gay conversion therapy? No. The Holy Spirit does change. uh, uh, Watermark doesn't do any change, honestly. The Spirit of God either moves in and begins to change in people's life, or he doesn't. And so as the body of Christ, we put change firmly in the hands of the Holy Spirit. We come alongside to encourage and walk alongside And it would be a disservice if I told you right now that if you just read your Bible enough, God will change your sexual orientation. And it would also be a disservice to God if I told you that he could not change your sexual orientation. I I have friends in in my life, and they may be the rare exception, but it, it would be, if God can bring dead people alive, he can bring change about. And yet he may just call you to steward that, to show the world that Jesus is enough and to be an example to a community that only needs more and more examples. But Paul even says it is possible a change does at times take place. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, we read earlier where he said, hey, do not be deceived. Wrongdoers won't inherit the kingdom of God. Neither were sexually immoral. Idolaters, uh, adulterers, people who have sex with men or men who have sex with men, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, were, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That there are times that God, for whatever reason, chooses to move in and bring change. And other times, despite asking over and over, he doesn't. But I, I want to show a video now just to, to be an encouragement. If you're finding yourself walking through some of the valley of the shadow of just wrestling with that. And where you can find encouragement and hopefully hope in the midst of that. I, um, I hesitated to show that video because I, uh, I know that it could paint the picture that that's what will happen. And that's what God does. And I I know that's not true. I know it is possible and I know he does and he has, and I've seen it in close friends' lives, but I know he often doesn't. And he allows you to shout to the world, Jesus is enough. And, um, What's amazing is there's such a, uh, an amazing, beautiful purity in, in following Jesus when you surrender that. I mean, really, when you surrender anything and you surrender your life, but it's a lot easier to hide when heterosexuality is just a part of your struggle or pornography is eating you alive or you're sleeping with your boyfriend. But when you have to say, man, I'm, I'm going to surrender publicly, you can't hide, and that's amazing. And there are many of you inside of this room who strengthen this church and the church. If I had a son, or I do have a son, if I, uh, <laughs> if I had one, which I do, uh, I have a son named Crew, he's two and a half years old. Uh, he's the best thing ever, uh, next to his mom and sister. And, um, if there was, came a day where he came to me and he said "I, uh, dad I, I'm, I'm attracted to guys he's 12 he's 16 I don't know when and thinking about this this week I was going I hope that I would respond in a loving way that would point him to the truth of God's word because if I didn't if I was like man I you know throw this out the window because now it's different I would not be loving him and at the same time I mean to be something I would never wish on him am I saying that um just like I don't think anyone in the room would wish it or even wants or wishes if that's a part of your story but if he chose to honor God in his singleness and said I'm going to choose to be celibate for the kingdom of heaven I would be so proud of him I would be so much more proud than if he was the quarterback of the football team who was dating the cheerleader captain and had everything going on, but he didn't know Jesus. I would be heartbroken for him at that stage. But if he was someone who said, God, despite the fact that was I born this way? Was I not? I don't really know. For whatever reason, this is what is a part of my wiring. And I'm choosing to honor you, God, with even that. I would be so proud of him. And if you're inside of the room and you're choosing right now, hey, God, above my desires, above my sexuality, above anything else, I surrender it to you. And I'm going to choose to honor you. You're the God. You're the king of my heart, the king of my life. And I'll honor you with even that. I am so proud of you. And you have a heavenly father, just like I was with my son or would be with my son, who is so proud of you. Keep going. Don't lose heart. The scriptures say that this life is like a vapor and it will end. And today, I know the burden and the weight of that is heavy. You are not alone. And the body of Christ and the spirit of Christ are there and want to be there in increasingly better ways. And you strengthen us, you make us better. May God multiply your kind and make us better ministers to every sexual oriented person out there of every different kind. Let me pray. Father, I just want to pray first for for men and women inside of this room who for whatever reason you have allowed to experience an orientation that may not align with God's word. And I pray that you would strengthen their faith. You would multiply They're kind of people who just say, God, above my sexuality, regardless if I'm homosexual or heterosexual, you're the king and I surrender it to you, help me. And so I wanna pray specifically for for friends in the room that struggle with same-sex attraction, God, that you would fill them with hope and that you would be so big inside of their life that everything else would be moved to the side Father, I want to pray for all of us who can be tempted every single day to make something or someone else sit on the throne of our hearts and of our lives that you would win and you would take ground. We all walked into this room sexually broken in one way or another. And we all walked into this room sinfully broken in many ways. And we need your help, God. Would you help us to bear one another's burden, to walk alongside of one another, and to be an example to a watching world that Jesus is enough. And he's king. And he's good. We worship you now in song.